0: Let me interpret it this way. The way the channel has grown has not Mm -hmm. affected our friendship because it's not like I'm more friends with you or less friends with (laughs) you now that we have more subscribers.
1: (laughs) Sorry, I can only maintain our friendship for a growth rate of 100 minimum subscribers a day.
0: (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by red.
1: i uh, I cold brewed a little too close to the sun, and I've unleashed a monster that I'm not trying to get through so I can cold brew something else.
0: <laughs> is the monster you? <laughs>
1: no, what? no, not yet. Uh, we're in the we're in the Dr Jekyll phase of the uh, the process. You see, the thing is, obviously, it is the beginning of the Halloween season, uh, the most wonderful time of the year and that means pumpkin spice flavored things have started popping up all over the place. And out of simple curiosity, what a naive fool I was when I bought that bag of light roast pumpkin spice flavored coffee. Because the trick with cold brew is that if you have flavored coffee, cold brewing it leaches out all of the flavor. Whereas if it's hot brewed, the flavor is very mild compared to that. So this is the most overwhelmingly pumpkin spiced Coffee I've ever tasted. And it's not good because it's not sweetened in any way. It's just the spice mix and then the bitterness of the coffee. And it's like my normal strategy of tempering it with milk isn't working, but I have a full pot of the stuff and I don't want to waste it.
0: So you can't stop now. <laughs> I can't
1: stop now. So that's what I'm going to be getting through for the next hour and a half.
0: Good, good. <laughs> I've got normal ass water today. Smart. Uh uh. <laughs> But we're, we're having fun because we had. Not, not a fan? Not a <laughs> yeah. fan of that?
1: Well, the thing is, coffee is already a combination of bitter and sour. And then when you combine that with pumpkin flavor, I'm, I will move it along,
2: go. <laughs> <laughs> we can't talk about this the whole time. This is why the After After Show show exists. That's
0: fair. Which, speaking of, if you want to hear us uh, do bullshit for more time after the podcast, uh, after this is done, we record the After After Show show, and it goes up on Patreon. So if you are a patron, you can uh, check it out on the website or get the special RSS for that. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to hear us do bullshit for half an hour or more uh, after this podcast ends, consider becoming a patron um, for for more of that exact energy, (laughs) but uh, completely... um, uh, unscheduled and with no uh, endpoint, essentially. Yes. But we yeah. are here because we do jobs, and <laughs> that meant posting videos. I. I'm flawless today. Yeah, uh, we're killing it. We had uh, a video on the uh, the Saint Sophia Cathedral in Kiev, mm-hmm. and the uh, legends of uh, the the deep dive into Artemis and Apollo. So, Red, where do you wanna where do you want to start out? We today? can do this.
1: Well, I say chronologically, but chronologically can be read <laughs> either way. Uh, let's start with yours because your video okay. came out first. Yeah,
0: sure. Um, this one was uh, the product of wanting to do something more with ukraine Mm -hmm. um of course not wanting to just like do the history again or like just focus on something super modern because too modern eh. um and also like just talking about the war eh. uh no thanks ouch but i was like okay i can i can Get into my architecture era this year and and feel uh, confident in my ability to to do some little more deep dive kind of things. So let's let's find like you know some famous you know church or monument in Ukraine and then I look at it and they have like their whole like seven wonders of Ukraine thing and the top one is like Saint Sophia. It's Saint Sophia. That's the one. <laughs> That's like the thing for us It's like okay, I, Saint Sophia indeed. I will I will do that one. Um, so I started looking into it and learning a little bit about it. It's like oh, okay cool this was the one that was built by Volodymyr like right after the uh, the Christianization started and I, I learned I learned a lot of interesting things um, and I, I feel like I, I grew as a, a, a researcher uh, in the process of making this video because I got really good I think at detangling the like subtle political web that just pervades a lot of the scholarship on this because there's a whole like academic slap fight on whether you think the church was begun in 1017 by um, Yaroslav, the wise, his son, whether it was begun by Volodymyr himself in like the, the, like, 1011 or so, whether you thought it was begun by Yaroslav in, like, 1037, and, like, yeah. the the numbers and the significance of that has, like, a real, like, pro-Russia versus pro-Ukraine thing, so, like, oh. that was a, like, okay, interesting, so I was, like, looking at some sources, and it was like, absolutely, this church was built in 1037, I'm like, hmm. okay, a little sus, um, God, but that's the interesting...
1: A- the most frustrating part of any kind of historical research is finding the things that are actually dog whistles, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, come on! Uh,
0: I don't know if that one's so much a dog whistle, but there's um, there's a lot of, like, just stuff behind it. And granted, it's like the scholarship is still, you know, very early, um, all things considered, so we are kind of figuring these things out. But, like, traditional narratives are like, ah, yes, and this guy did this, and it was perfect and great and whatever, and therefore rushes the third Rome all along or some some nonsense like that. Um, but the research process was neat because a lot of the scholarship on this is very, very new, specifically after independence in 1991. Ooh. And it's taken a while for that research to seep into like English language academia, and even more time for that to seep into like English language, like popular resources for like a general audience to, right. to be able to pick up on, um, like in books or online and stuff. There's like, you know, like a, a basic paragraph on most websites like, okay, well that's kind of useless. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> the, the funniest example was like, looking at the English language Wikipedia page, which was like two paragraphs and completely useless, as usual. And then I had been doing some research into the etymology to try to figure out, like, okay, like, sofiski sobor, how does that translate specifically into, like, holy wisdom and figuring out that it is not Saint Sophia, like, a saint named Sophia. It is, like the one in Constantinople, it is the concept of holy wisdom. And oh, like yeah. with Greek, the two words haia and sobor uh, like. Uh, not so bored, but the uh, i'm I'm getting myself in a tizzy. the the etymolo- etymological root is is similar so that it means holy wisdom. And as I was researching all this stuff, I had stumbled into the Ukrainian language Wikipedia page for Saint Sophia, which was twenty five pages long. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like okay, it is. even if I don't end up using all of this, like I should take a look and see what's here. and then that was able to help me get more of a a sense of direction, and like, okay, like, here's what I can look into. Um, Like, I find a clipping in one little English language thing online somewhere, and it's like a a tiny sentence that, like, vaguely implies that there's something here. And now that I was able to find this other source, that's like, okay, here's a bunch of other stuff. Now it's like, I know what I'm actually looking for and can find stuff a lot easier. So, it's like, yeah, and then the church was abandoned, and then it reopened. I'm like, fucking when? (laughs) Um, But of course, then, like, you get dates and stuff. So anyway, it was, um... Uh, a process of translating things uh, into and out of Ukrainian, which was complicated and and fun um, and and interesting in its its own way. So oh my
1: gosh, I uh, I actually have a very similar grievance in that, like, n- why is this not giving me details? It's the job of this thing pr- to provide me details, and it was with one very specific tidbit in the video that uh, that I just put out. Uh, and I don't want to derail from your thing. No, it was just this one like little nugget, which is that uh, the island of Ortigia. Uh, is cited as the birthplace of Artemis. And Ortigia is a name that a lot of islands have been assigned historically. And the thing I kept running into is like, a half a dozen different islands have been called Ortigia. And I was like, cool, which islands? And they were like, a half dozen of them. And I I like went up the citation chain and I've learned to dread whenever a citation chain takes me into a dictionary because Mm. the dictionaries don't cite their sources. So it'll be like Ortigia, the name of a half dozen islands. And I'm like, fuck, but I did, <laughs> Finally fucking found it. I think it was like Pausanias's descriptions of oh, Greece yeah. in the original Greek. He was like, this location has been known as Ortigia, and this location also has been known as Ortigia. And I'm like, thank you. Fucking thank you. There's only like four of them. It's not even a half dozen. But God. like, it was still, it was that very specific like, it, it it wasn't even cytogenesis. The information was correct. It had just lost specificity yeah. over time. And I was like, I need to know where they are. And they were like, There are six of them. And I'm like, No.
0: Yeah. So it was. It was like this video felt like the process of trying to like do that, but mm-hmm. for this church, where it's like, it was a church that existed. I'm like, Okay, well, yeah, but like, give <laughs> me something. Um, so I I didn't intend to to do anything, you know, complete or comprehensive. But it's like, look. For an English language resource on this thing that is an unmistakable treasure of of medieval civilization and you know Ukrainian Rus culture in particular, Um, just having like a touchstone for that because it's very easy to think of Ukraine as this nebulous place that's getting bombed right now, Mm. but there are people there and there's a built heritage and a, a, a a physical manifestation of a culture that is just by the fact that it is there in bomb range, in danger and putting that into a historical context of like, why does this mean something? Because you hear about churches getting bombed all over the place. There was one in um, Odessa, I think like a couple months back, like a church of the Transfiguration or something. And it was like, you you didn't have to do that. You just did because you guys suck. (laughs) So it's like, even though it's not on the front lines, the, the the spaces that people inhabit and value are in danger and trying to bring some attention to that um, was something that I, I felt very strongly about which is why I'm glad we we're able to attach a fundraiser to it which is currently mm-hmm. sitting at like seven thousand some odd dollars oh, um, so really if you want good. to contribute um, it's one of many uh, charities doing work in Ukraine um, it's called uh, Nova um, they do good stuff so uh yeah um, that was a uh, a, a I don't know if it was a dense video, but it mm. was, it, it felt heavy. It felt like a lot. Well, <laughs>
1: I think part of it is because uh, you've been doing, you know, more than a few videos about Ukraine uh, since, I, I think you were working on this, like, before everything kind of went to shit, but, you know, you've
0: been... I, I'd intended to make the Ukraine video before everything went to right. shit, but I, I procrastinated myself into the war.
1: Right, yes, But but because there's this, like, running theme in that conflict of this attempted historical revisionism uh, that's just very, uh, cause I've seen that bothering you specifically <laughs> since minute one. And I think a lot of like when, when you revisit this, it's almost always from this perspective of like, no, it's important that this true knowledge be shared
2: mm-hmm. rather
1: than just overridden by you know popular cultural narratives and most people engaging with this through headlines and very little else and stuff like that. So I, I understand why it feels heavy. You're lifting a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh,
0: I, I did get a tiny bit of smack for, um, or a tiny bit of sass for talking smack about Saint Basil's Church in Moscow on the logic of like, hey, blue, you don't need to like degrade Russian architecture to like praise Ukraine. I'm like, that is correct. I've <laughs> said on this podcast like a year and a half ago that I think St. Basil's just looks silly. Like, I can't take it seriously. It's a joke, church. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're not so... degrading
1: it to, to uplift Ukraine. You're degrading it as a treat for yourself.
0: Yeah, no, that one's for me. <laughs> um, there are a lot of, you know, Russian Orthodox churches in St. Sava in uh, Belgrade, which is just completely built with Russian blood money, like 100% top <laughs> to bottom, which is just, it's a beautiful church. Like, God fucking damn, it's beautiful. <laughs> So, like, that's not the problem. I just think St. Basil's looks kind of stupid. Is that the one that
1: looks like it belongs in Candyland, or am I mixing it up with something
0: Because the Candyland castle was designed from St. Basil's. Really? Wow. Because they knew it looked like a joke. (laughs) Okay, great.
1: Fantastic. We're all learning so much today. You got Um, it in
0: one, Red. Let's talk about some twins. (laughs) Hell
1: hell yeah. So so this one was interesting to me. Um, Every time I do one of these deep dives, I always hit this point where I'm like, Man, I wish I had some better information here. Like, because... I always wish that there was some kind of grand conspiracy I could tap into and unravel this is like the archaeo this is the um, this is the literature equivalent of when archaeologists are like it would be nice to just get one Indiana Jones style temple with functional traps in it just once <laughs> it would as a treat for me because uh, most of the time when you when you do a research avenue you're going to hit the wall of like oopsies that's the point where our historical record has disintegrated far enough that we just got nothing. Um, and with Artemis and Apollo, it was even more like, I, I didn't even have the twist like I had in the Hermes video where it was like an offshoot of the god Pan, that's something, or like Aphrodite, offshoot of Inanna, that's something, that's really cool, uh, and uh, you know, Dionysus, oh, Dionysus had like an archaic, older looking, more like horned, scary version, that's radical, and then I get to this one and I'm like, Artemis and Apollo, uh, well, They didn't come from anywhere else together because they're (laughs) very much the only pairing of their kind, give or take like a couple. Um, So it was like, okay, well, where the hell did Apollo come from? And it's like, Mm, <laughs> Min- minoan perhaps and this is like well what about artemis oh she's been here ages mistress of animals archetype you know we got those old symbols of her where she's like symmetrically framed holding two snakes that's classic mistress of animal stuff and i'm like great what does that mean and they're like what? Well, what do you mean what does it mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> it means ritual purposes obviously that's well, as far as it ever goes we're
1: in the proto-indo-european reconstruction zone baby nothing means anything yeah. <laughs> I was like great thanks um but like I don't know. It was one of those things where I sort of laid out everything I'd found in roughly chronological order and was like, all right, what threads can I actually trace through? Where were they at what times? What changes happened? And I I really hope people like it because I feel like there's not much of a thesis here. And then people really liked it, which is good because that that was was, great. um, But so this is one of those things where I, I think it's. proof positive of why we cannot make videos in the debunking style, because I had yeah. no idea what the things about Artemis and Apollo that needed debunking were. Uh, yeah. But there were people in the comments who were like, wow, this is so cool. I always thought that Artemis and Apollo, like, hated each other, because they were so opposite. And I was like, why would you think why that? Was... <laughs> There's no myths about that. They just hang out with each other. And then I was like, wait, this is... You need to examine
0: thing. something with your siblings, my guys. No, no, no. The thing no, is, like, I'm, kidding, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not
1: gonna assume that they, like, made it up. I think it's just a, like a, it's, it's a pop culture osmosis Mm -hmm. thing where it's like oh yes Artemis the dark sister Apollo the bright sun you know yada yada and it's like okay cool so these guys probably don't spend much time together and then it's like Artemis spends her weekends partying in Delphi (laughs) with Apollo and the muses and everyone was like whoa that's so fun I like that they're bros it's like I didn't realize that needed to be discussed and like if I would made a top 10 lies my teacher told me about Artemis and Apollo then I probably would have been like did you know that Apollo only became the sun god, like, as late as 40 BC tops, you know? Because there were other gods, you know. That's so in the weeds. That's so niche. It's Um, like
0: Augustus was in astronomy school when Apollo became the sun god.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, And there were...
0: it it is tricky because like when you're doing that kind of debunking thing, you have to basically decide ahead of time like what your straw man is going to be to take down. <laughs> yeah. And when I was doing my, the dark ages were fine actually. That was something that I really struggled with of like, okay, well I'm I the general consensus is like the dark ages, therefore it sucked. Okay, mm-hmm. like that's that's pretty clear on its own. But like as I was building it out, I'm like, I really can't get very specific with this because it means something else to to every. It means something else to every individual person. And I'm just going to start, like, making shit up for the purpose of then, like, debunking it in two seconds. So, Red, you're exactly right. Like, we we just can't really do that kind of video because the, the logical assumptions it requires are just screwy.
1: Yeah, they just don't <laughs> click. Um, but this one, I, I had a good time with. It was interesting to uh, trace back where I could find them. Obviously, the fact that the starting point was... Iliad and Odyssey was very helpful because yeah, they're, <laughs> they're such central players. Like, oh, Apollo's priest being slighted is what kicks off the final stage of the Trojan War. Yeah. That's enormous. Uh because like the Iliad is such a useful touch point because it's like there. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this obviously in every deep dive video I've done, I bring up the Iliad, because uh, it's always important. It's like Aphrodite's in the Iliad, but she's she's a little odd. There's a couple statements that feel like they've got a little like the writer turns directly to face the camera (laughs) to be like, and that's why she has no place on the battlefield. Uh, Or like you look through it and you're like, wait, where the fuck is Dionysus? Like he's, the thing is, I I checked. He's not, I do not think he's even mentioned in the Iliad. He is mentioned in the Odyssey. Because a lot of the gods are mentioned in the Odyssey. Artemis yeah. and Apollo don't appear in the Odyssey, but they are referenced several times. It's like, and then they killed Niobe's kids, or like, oh, she's like Diana, or, uh, or no, that's, sorry. She's like Artemis, and then when the Aeneid rolls around, it's like, ah, she calls upon the powers of Diana to do this spooky witch thingy. um, But... So I think they mentioned Bacchus like twice in that context, but Dionysus doesn't take a side in the war and is never mentioned. And it's like, what What do you mean? But he's so important. It's like, well, he is, but is he mainstream? <laughs> um, yeah. And when it comes to Artemis and Apollo, it's like they are mainstream. And I, I remember every time I read the Iliad, there was that moment where I was like, it's a little weird that Hera's just kicking Artemis's ass for the next three pages. I, it's not really how what I associate with either of these characters but it's it's something. By the way, Reddit, I see you. I, I saw you guys getting horny over my nice Christian drawing of two <laughs> pagan goddesses kicking the shit out of each other. <laughs> You brought that energy with you.
0: (laughs) You mentioned to me yesterday, like, that, that exact pose of, like, Hera holding Artemis by the hands and, like, grabbing her face, like, that's in the text.
1: Yeah, it says, like, and she caught her wrists in her left hand and held them above her head as she battered her with her bow, and I was like... Okay, that's a pretty cool pose. That's not how I would have in- internally choreographed this fight. I'll draw it as described. And then you guys. <laughs> no, no, I love it. This is my favorite uh, cosmic curse that is upon me. I cannot draw a character that people will not get thirsty over.
0: What character did you draw in like the like the hot girl with like her arms behind her mud flaps of a truck pose in Aurora?
1: Oh <laughs> Was
0: it, like, was it false or no, someone? No, it was Danix. was Danix? De-
1: <laughs> Look, I know that he's pretty, all right? That's fine. That one I understand. Currently, I'm trying to convince people to stop shipping people with the, the psychic torture slime that I designed. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, that thing looks fun. Boyfriend material, perhaps? And it's like, no! <laughs> uh.
0: But... Um, I, I really liked this video um, because of the the very solid chronology of the myths that you get between like the pre. You know, classical Mycenaean era, like Apollo's here, Artemis mm-hmm. is not. Down through like classical around. period, oh, Mycenaean it... era,
1: Artemis is here, Apollo oh, is conspicuously okay. absent. Never mind. Artemis is cited in the ledgers at Pelos. Uh, okay,
0: cool. Two epithets
1: of Apollo are it. cited at Nausos, but Apollo himself. Oh, shanky. right, got it, got it, got it. Uh, Yeah, so yeah. like, it's pretty clear evidence that like they weren't worshipped in the same places. If Apollo was there at all, uh, I saw a couple people bring up the like, oh, there might be like an. Uh, I think it was like Etruscan god that that might have been a root for Apollo, but it's it's all very shaky. His name yeah. is is vague enough. Um, Etruscan
0: stuff is is very weird and, yeah. and <laughs> tough to get a handle on.
1: Right, but like we can find Artemis's like worship sites with archaeological evidence of like we can find little votive figurines of her that were sacrificed to her in like the the Dark Ages and like the the Mycenaean era so it's like okay Artemis is solidly here she's here and the thing is a lot of the uh the older wilder gods seem to have been in the Mycenaean religion so Artemis, evidence for that. Pan, evidence for that. Dionysus, yeah. evidence for that. Um, Hermes, obviously, is an offshoot of Pan, evidence for that. And they're almost always like located somewhere in Arcadia or something like that. And yeah. Artemis is, is in this weirder position uh, because she is also cited as like, well, the thing is, the story of Artemis's birth almost gets glossed over. Apollo's birth is always such a huge deal. Oh, he comes from, from Crete, maybe. Or no, he comes from Delos by way of Crete or something like that. Uh, Could
0: be a... a, a... <clears throat> What's what sort I'm looking for uh, could be a um, like mythologization of how Delos was within the Minoan orbit mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in the the like Mycenaean pre-Mycenaean period. So yeah, you know, well,
1: it's similar yeah. to like, oh, Artemis washes up on the shores of Cithara, and it's like, oh, how convenient. So did all these Phoenician sailors um, uh, Aphrodite.
0: But yeah, <laughs>
1: sorry, what did I say?
0: You said Artemis. Whoops. I mean, yes, I
1: I meant Aphrodite. All these
0: all these Greek deities with a in their name. I know but, how inconvenient
1: yeah. for me personally. Uh, yeah. But so. It, there's this just very interesting development of like, all right, at this point, by the time we get to the Iliad, they're siblings. And I was like, why do they call them twins? And this is another thing where I was like, yeah. give me the fucking sources. Cause it's like <laughs> siblings, 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 both children of Zeus and Leto, yada, yada, yada. And then finally in like 400 something, it's like twins, I'm like, thank you. Yeah. But everywhere I, you look, it's like, it was commonly accepted that Artemis and Apollo were twins, even though nobody wrote it down for 400 years. And I was like, commonly accepted by who? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I I really liked the late period stuff with like the late Apollo and then the the triple goddess for, Af- uh, for not Aphrodite, goddammit, uh, <laughs> for Artemis. Now I fall on my sword. Yeah, Diana, um, the
1: triple goddess that hangs out with Hecate and Erebus and Chaos. It's like she does what? <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Dark cottage core. But uh, yeah. Good, I great think that's video. called witchcraft. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, there is a simpler word for that, isn't there?
1: Yes. Uh, anyway, on the subject of Artemis and Apollo, uh, in terms of plugs, we have one. We have plushes, Artemis, and Apollo now.
0: <laughs> we're so excited. We've been working on this for like a straight year. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Crowdmate has been like, we can do plushes if you're interested for ages. And we were like, oh, I just don't know if our designs will plush you well. And it's like... No, this, this fucking rules, this slabs, these guys yeah. are great. Um,
0: yeah, we've got a, a bundle deal where if you get them both, you get $5 off. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they're around for another week and a bit um, at time of upload. Yes. Uh, and if we don't sell out, they'll be back for Black Friday. But you never know,
1: yes. we might so I, sell out. I believe, so this is a limited run, right? Like, yeah, this
0: is a limited run. And once we, once we get our stock done, <laughs> That's the stock done. Um, so, uh, if you think you might want it, grab it because we once they sell out, we don't we don't know if we're gonna do it again. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, if we don't sell out by the end of the uh, uh, the two weeks, we'll we'll have some for um, for Black Friday, but mm-hmm. we don't know if we will.
1: Yep. <laughs> This is this whole thing is very experimental. Obviously, we have never made plushies before. Yeah. Uh, mostly, what we've done with CrowdMade has been pins. Uh, we did recently open a white label shop that yeah. is fulfilled by CrowdMade. Uh, so, should I should I should I sass the red bubble stuff that, or should I not? Um, we we I could. have a couple. We don't grievances. necessarily
0: need to, but we're well, uh, we're very satisfied with uh, with moving all of our stuff over to uh, to CrowdMade. Yeah. We, uh, so if you're uh, fond
1: of our older designs, a lot of those are on uh, CrowdMade. If you're fond of an older design that you can't seem to find on our white label shop, uh, and you're a patron, access our super secret patrons only store for patrons. And you might be able to find some of the older stuff. I, I think we put up like all of the older stuff on that one. I uh, we don't have
0: remember. a a, v- a vast majority of our stuff is is available one way or another um, in right. the the vault. If it's not in the main shop, we didn't port right. over like all of our really, designs. Like the popular but like a ones, a solid are. most. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, our yeah our our new shop is is pretty great. We got a lot of our uh, core stuff: um, mugs, sweaters, shirts, stickers, posters. And of course, pins and stuff when out. Yes, applicable. when pins so are back in a...
1: stock, they will be there, which yeah. is very convenient because now all of our stuff is actually in one place.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have it all all together on a nice website with our own branding. It's I think great.
1: F- this is the first time our merch has all been in one place because yep. before it was like, oh, Threadless and Cafe Press. And it's like Redbubble and uh, Cafe Press is still there a little bit. And now it's like, here, this is the place to go.
0: <laughs> it's here, yeah. So we're very satisfied. And this will. Uh, allow us to do some more fun niche product types in the future, but as with all experiments, let us know, buy it if you like it. Um, but either way, even if uh, you can't or uh, aren't feeling like buying it right now, the the comments of like, this is so great, are very appreciated, so yes. <laughs> we we are excited by your excitement. Um,
1: yes, as far as I'm think, concerned, uh, this is an unconditional win because you guys liked the plushie design.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. so with that, let's move over to the Q&A portion of the podcast.
2: Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q and A portion of the overly sarcastic podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question is from from one of our lovely, lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Queen the Charlatan. Do you think the way the channel has grown has changed you two's friendship at all?
1: Huh.
0: I. I don't think <laughs> that's an so. interesting question because i don't think the let me let me interpret it this way the way the channel has grown has not mm-hmm. affected our friendship because it's not like i'm more friends with you or less <laughs> friends with you now yeah, that we yeah. have more subscribers yeah.
1: <laughs> sorry i can only maintain our friendship for a growth rate of 100 minimum subscribers a day <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> i
1: think that it would be accurate to say that uh you joining the channel when when it was still pretty new definitely helped make us just like solidify from like we're friends to like oh we're besties. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cuz it was like well now we're like just talking constantly. It's like oh, yeah, yeah this, this is pretty great.
0: I will say uh in the the first like stretch of college even before I was was like on the channel making videos, like I'm pretty sure we were like texting back and forth like functionally every day hmm. with like a handful of breaks because it's college. Yeah. Um but I I think one of the only reasons that me joining the channel was ever like a shred of a possibility was because we were still like close enough despite the fact that we were in different universities that we were yeah. like in in cahoots and chatting about stuff. And like once I found out the channel, I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I watched the whole thing in a night. And I was like, this is awesome. And then we just started talking about it. Yeah, and that yeah. laid the groundwork for me eventually kind of coming into it. But I I really do like the fact that we have, you know, just something happening all the time for us to be talking about and then stuff like this where it's you know we have the podcast every other week where we you know get on a video call and we record detailed diatribes every so often where we just like get on a video call and then (laughs) do the detailed diatribe and then just like chat for another half hour so i think those kinds of things like having the 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 structured scheduled time to just like beyond like texting back and forth like oh hey like we finished recording this thing but like here's what's going on in my life today, or, like, here's this thing that I watched that was really cool. So, for me, mm-hmm. that's that's part of what I, I get from the, uh, the, the, the growth of the channel, uh, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. I, I don't know if it ties in with the growth of the channel, because, again, like, it feels like this question is asking something else, although I'm not entirely sure what, but... um yeah, having the channel as just a constant source of conversation topics is one of the easiest ways to just maintain like chats about <laughs> stuff. And I think when we made the detailed diatribe thing, it was really just like, hey, you know what would be fun? Just making a direct outlet for all our just random, like hour-long chats about dumb shit.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, and, exactly. Uh, and it's worked great. And uh, yeah, I-, I feel like the question is asking like, has fame changed you, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, like, we made the joke when we hit one million of, like, oh, my God, now we have to be fancy. And then the end of that was, like, let's never do that again.
0: Never again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it, and, but it, even then, it was, like, hey, you want an excuse to, like, wear our, like, prom suits again and, uh, <laughs> and like, go to a museum we like and get high tea? And it's, like, yeah, let's do it.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, the... the
1: the most amazing thing about how this channel has worked out is that it has turned into an enabler for things that we wanted to do anyway. Uh, it it doesn't feel like a chore or an obligation because we've been able to be like, I just want to try this thing. I want to do this thing and like put it on the channel, and it works and and yeah. gives us an outlet and, and you know the the support that we need to be able to do things that we like. Um, and it's it's really heartwarming whenever I think about That's it like nice. that. But uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I don't think that the channel getting big uh, changed our friendship, in part because the channel was small while we were friends for like a while. Yeah. <laughs> so we were just like, we're just <laughs> having <laughs> fun, just dicking around. Oh, what if I made the shirt that does this? And it's like, oh, cool, things are working now. It's all right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> it took us
0: a while to realize that the channel was like... Big. <laughs> yeah, we, we
1: were sort of, it was one of those, like, laying the tracks as the train is approaching situations when we, because as we were going through college, it was like, all right, the channel's gone from, like, sandwich money to, like, grocery money, but, like, we're going to start figuring out real jobs. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do with a math degree? And you're like, what am I going to do with, like, philosophy? Maybe I'll, like, teach. And then it was like, oh, hey.
0: Oh, wait. The channel exploded. <laughs> <laughs> we're going <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs>
1: like, just in time. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a little hard to extricate too, because like we've been friends for so long at this point that it's like how mm-hmm. how do you how do you separate that out? It's like well, how much of this is channel and how much of this is just we vibe together, and how much of the channel is that we vibe together, and you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> people entangle themselves in your lives in very inextricable ways. Um, <laughs> And so it goes. I mean that with love. I hope it sounded like that.
0: (laughs) I'm just like, like what, what plant am I that's just like, like.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. Here's the thing. I just read, um, the locked tomb just released a little short story tie-in, uh, called, uh, I think like the unwanted guest. And it basically has this, How the fuck do I explain this? It's got this thesis that souls are permeable and the presence of a person in your life irrevocably changes you because parts Mm. of them bleed into you. In the book, it is in the context of necromantically consuming their soul to power you for the next 10,000 years. But in real life, it also happens
2: just by (laughs) hanging out with people. (laughs) Anyway, next question. (laughs) The next cash question is also channel related, but this one's just a red from Glitter Pixels. Out of curiosity, how come some of your recent deep dive and legend folklore videos have used the trope talk fireplace instead of the usual white background? Just curious about the changes all. Gotcha, it's
1: it is the smallest thing. The uh the older like white void drawings are some of the oldest drawings I still used on the channel, they are lower resolution than my current frame sizes because That was from when I was making videos that only went up to 720p, and now they're all 1080p at least. Uh, So it's just a little jaggy, it's just a little gross looking. And I basically hit a point one day where I was like, I think it was the Trojan War video. I was like, I'm drawing, so many beautiful frames, and then I have to go and put in this little <laughs> self-insert character I drew like seven years ago, and I was like, eh, whereas the, uh, the Trope Talk backgrounds are more recent. They're still years old at this point, but I'd sort of settled into the style at that point. They're higher res. It was It was just this tiny little sticking point where I was like, I want this video to be something I'm proud of, and including this lower quality art in it I would not be proud of, but I don't have it in me to go and redraw dozens and dozens of these things. Um, (laughs) So, yes, that's why I'm, that's why I'm been using the uh, Trope Talk background for that.
0: And from my side of it, the reason that I switched from the, like, armchair room Trope Talk background which was originally where my videos were. That's where I hung mm-hmm. out uh, in those videos. To the White Void was because the White Void drawings that Red did for me were a couple years later yep. and mm-hmm. also much better quality. And I had been like making like additional frames out of the like constituent pieces of the the like the armchair room templates. And because of like me, like copying and pasting and cropping and like basically mm-hmm. splicing art together over the courses of years, the line art got just absolutely screwed. <laughs> so there are like some images where like there's one pose where like my hand is out and like my eyes and mouth are in a certain position, and then in the next frame, my like my face changes, my hand stays <laughs> the same, but there's this white outline around the entire thing because like I screwed it up over the course of a couple of years. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's I, I can make art that's like modular. When I drew uh, my armchair room poses, I have like one master file that's got like layers for the different hand positions, layers for the eyebrows and mouths, and I have like a letter code system so that when I want a specific pose, I type it in and it just immediately jumps to it in the list. And but like that's a level of care that i hadn't done by the time i was doing the vo- white void room drawings when it was like the very first things i was ever doing so it's just the upgrade it's just because it was bothering me
2: j- like the little things bother me so much more than the larger uh, compromises cool stuff well this next question comes from pomegranate relative to all favorite adaptation of a shakespeare play
0: Ooh, that's a tough one
2: gundam the witch from mercury
0: <laughs> it's the plot
2: of The Tempest, but with giant robots and lesbians.
0: Nice. Uh, maybe
2: my all-time favorite, one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo Plus Juliet. It, if you're not if you're not watching that play, it's incredibly text accurate, and also everyone's wearing, like, a Hawaiian shirt. I think it's great. I think it's a fantastic uh, movie. So much the rain. version of
1: Muppet Midsummer Night's Dream that lives only in my head and that Tumblr post <laughs> I made about it.
2: <laughs> uh.
1: Because I've been complaining for years. I wish Shakespeare adaptations went wilder with it uh, or or, or went wilder in more interesting directions. Because they'll be like, hey, what if we do Macbeth as like a six-episode miniseries with Sir Patrick Stewart and this like real like like Soviet brutalist like Eastern Bloc aesthetic, which is my third candidate for favorite Shakespeare adaptation. Mm -hmm. I was almost going
0: to say that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But like – but then it's like, hey – we're gonna take things like midsummer night's dream and the tempest which have these themes of magic and spirits and like you can make the most beautiful animated movie of these and instead people are like what if we put them in the forest on bicycles and got stanley tucci in horns to be Puck?" <laughs> i, I think do that's
2: think correct. that we are dancing around um a long-held belief of mine that the Greatest subgenre of Shakespeare adaptation was the early two thousands. Let's make it into a teen movie where, like, you know, you get ah, you know, she's, yeah. the man. She's, she's the, the man. They're so yeah. good. They're always bangers. I think we need more. I think we need more of those now. Like, let's get into the weirder plays. You know, let's like let's let's do Coriolanus, but like I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shakespeare would have loved she's the man.
2: Oh my oh, god, oh, yeah. adored it. <laughs> that's that's probably my runner up for favorite Shakespeare adaptation. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair.
0: My favorite Shakespeare adaptation is the plaudest plays that all of his comedies are based on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if adaptation works in that direction. Uh, Oh, jeez. This is a good one. (laughs) This next question comes from Mott Scanley. To Blue, how did you learn Greek? Were you raised bilingual, or did you learn it later in life?
0: Uh, Under duress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I learned... um, Greek from a, a young age uh, in the genre of kitchen Greek or like, mm. you know, yaya Greek where it's, mm. I, I have enough knowledge to be able to say like, yes, please. No, thank you. I'm not hungry. I am hungry. And that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kitchen Greek, all right.
0: Because <laughs> exactly what it I, says on the tin. Yeah, um, it's just enough to to communicate like very basic, like not even like weather, uh, which is like third week of language class kind of stuff. It's just like, hi, like, you know, hi, grandma, grandpa, you know, I love you, good to see you, like, bye. And just like the, the most useless basic stuff. But um, I never had an excuse to use it in my you know, United States growing up life. I only used it for like two weeks at a time. And I didn't talk to any other adults when I was there because they didn't really want to dumb down their Greek to communicate with me. And the ones who did talk to me just spoke to me in English. So mm-hmm. I never had an excuse to, to develop um, a meaningful uh, basis in, in, in modern Greek. And then when I did... Um, ancient Greek for class, um, it was in an intensive summer program um, that was so stressful because oh, yeah. my <laughs> professor threatened to fail me over a B+, plus, uh, which would have uh, big sucked. Um, I, I got an A-, minus, but only barely. Good God. <laughs> this, um, was the, this
1: was the summer uh, class at, at my university, right? You Chicago.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. UChicago has this really weird thing where it's like it's got this like academia machismo, very specifically about like we don't inflate our grades like certain other colleges do. You get through here on hard work and gumption, and I was like, I'm exhausted all the time. Uh, but at least I got to learn about dinosaurs, and then you were like, I'm going to be here for the summer to take this class, and I was like, great. And you were like, I'm
2: miserable. And I was like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, it was.
0: Uh, it was bad. Uh, it was I. Got so stressed, I developed an eye infection.
2: Because
0: <laughs> you can yeah. get styes from stress, and they can get worse from stress. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a great time with Greek. I'm currently taking a modern Greek class, just like a private tutor thing with Cyan. Because now that I'm like trying for my citizenship, um, mm-hmm. I, it, it behooves me to to get a, a functional, conversational basis and. Since I've like, you know, now gotten through Italian and gotten pretty comfortable with that, it's like I can do it if I actually just like sit down and try and I'm not in a hostile learning environment. Um, yeah. so uh, my Greek is kind of a mess because it's it's splitsies between ancient and modern and I can read Plato better than I can order dinner at a fancy restaurant. Um, so
1: Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's common I, for the, everyone who's ever learned an ancient thing Greek that in class. Sucks
0: is that like Greek grammar is really, really cool. It's just so nice and straightforward in a couple very meaningful ways. Um, but the vocabulary is a little bit tricky in some aspects, and then there's just declensions which are kind of annoying, so, like, it shouldn't be that hard, I just had such an awful experience with it that trying to, like, unlearn the, the, like, fight-or-flight response from it has been a process.
2: Uh. Cool. I completely zoned
0: out. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That engaging of an answer, huh? He
1: was Uh, burying his soul!
2: This episode is going to come out after the... uh, Ideally, the Movie Struck episode for this week has come out, but I've been sitting babysitting the upload for, like, five hours now because for some reason the upload speeds in my apartment have gone from being like, it'll take ten minutes to upload an hour and a half podcast episode to it'll take two hours, and I'm... Ha! But we have more questions to get to unrelated to that. So... Ah, this question comes from El Catalia. To all, what are your favorite board games?
1: Ooh. Favorite board oh, boy. <laughs> this is going to be real feast or famine on the answer because yeah. I am not very much a board game person. I am friends with a lot of board game people and thus have played many board games. One of them
2: is on this call right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I also <laughs> uh, <rang>. don't love <laughs> board games, uh, yes. but yeah. have played many because of a certain other third person on this call.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just... Yeah, board games, uh, very much hit or miss with me. Uh, I have a fondness for a board game called Tikal uh, that was like this kind of, it it had like that Indiana Jones aesthetic sort of, it's like tile-based map reveal. Uh, You're exploring a jungle and you're finding lost golden and jade treasures. And here's the thing. With the benefit of hindsight and any sense of like what exactly colonialism has done to us as a culture, not great. But the art on it was so appealing. When I was little, oh, and like yeah. I, I flip over one of those tiles and it had a little gold, like shiny idol on it. I was like, I want to eat this somehow. <laughs> uh, and I just love the art in it. It was so cool. Um, and they rendered the textures on the golden stone so beautifully. In hindsight, I'm not surprised that. Art turned out to be my one thing, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, uh, quite quite fond of that. I'm also uh, fond of Discworld's Thud got made into a board game uh, mm. with fun little pieces shaped like trolls and uh, dwarves. And just that's fun. It's very cute. Uh, yeah. And chess. Uh, I like chess. That's Everyone good. in <laughs> my family likes chess. Everyone in my family has a chess set that they were given <laughs> at a young age. Um, I'm not great at it anymore, because I haven't played in a while. I've been doing those little, like, mate in two, mate in three chess puzzles. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, I'm weirdly good at the mate in three ones because I have a tendency to just be like, oh, cool, I can move to threaten them. I'll just do that immediately. Like, that was always my play style. And usually that's the right way to set up mate in three, but it's terrible for those, like, mate in one or mate in two ones, because I'm like, I can put them in check. And it's like, no, you're supposed to win. I'm like, I can put them in check from over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually just, like, stumble into victory.
0: <laughs> no check. <Yeah>. Kill. <laughs>
2: <laughs> destroy. I also don't love a lot of board games. The one game that comes to mind that I did enjoy when I played it was Hues and hues, which is basically, like, describe the color on a, big little, on a big grid, and it's just very nice to look uh, at, and very, like, the rules are easy, and it plays quickly, which is big for me, because I think the reason I don't like a lot of board games is that I'm very bad at having someone tell me instructions out loud and then being able to understand and remember them for the duration of a game. Uh and I inevitably the what ADHD happens people is, on this call have yeah. trouble with
1: sitting down and being told instructions and then perfectly re- replicating I t- them later. It tends
2: to be that, like, also board games tend to come up when you're in a group setting, and a lot of times when I'm in a group setting, all I really want to do is, like, sit and chat with people in the group, yeah, and that's not really yeah. always conducive in a board game. But that doesn't mean that they're bad. It's just my preference. But Blue, yeah, exactly. you probably have many more <laughs> suggestions than either of us. Your restraint two. has been <laughs> admirable thus far.
0: <laughs> when, when Cyan and I... uh we're, we're searching for our house and we found the one that we ended up buying. Um, the, one of the rooms was advertised as like a uh, a home office or a guest room and we're like, no, game room. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, um, so with that context in mind, a selection of a few of my favorites, um, really just, um, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to, to three. Um, Pandemic is a really fun board game, especially, in the context of like games you can play as a team. So you don't have the like quintessential bad board game experience where you try to show your friend a competitive board game and then you just like smoke their ass because they're <laughs> new to it. And of course they're not good at the game yet. Ah, the so... getting people
1: into Warhammer experience. I'm familiar. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can lower like, my Tau army. It's fine, I'll just play Orgs.
0: It's like the original um, Pandemic came out in like 2009 or 2010 and it just, it kicked off like a renaissance in board game design because it, it showed people for the first time like, Oh, board games can actually be fun because, like, growing up with Monopoly and Catan and, like, Stratego, it's like, these are these are games you can play to pass the time, but they're not, like, fun.
1: Monopoly's <laughs> or, designed to not be fun. Everyone forgets that. And
0: people forget that. It's just such a... No- yeah. Um, so I, I really like the, the Pandemic games because they're designed with the cooperative experience in mind and they are, like, compelling in that it is actually a hard game and you are all working together. What I really like is the Fall of Rome variant, which is not only so much harder than the base game mm. <laughs> because it introduces the possibility that your legions can just get their asses handed to them. And it's like, I want to cure disease. Would, the equivalent is like, I want to fight the barbarians. And the barbarians are like, no, you lose. <laughs> um, but, like, just as a piece of, like, historical... Interactivity, the way that the game systems work is actually like a shockingly good insight into the kinds of decision makings behind like the historical moment, not like the historical like era and process of the fall of Rome. So like as a historian, I really respect the design of that game. In addition to the fact that I think it's fun, but there's also like Dragoon, which is what if Risk didn't take six hours and was you. Fighting against each other as dragons, which is just yeah. so much fun. It's like 45 <laughs> minutes. It's great. We have a house rule that whoever wins a game of Dragoon is officially the Dragon King or Queen, um, and that that's just great. Whenever like you play a game of Dragoon and then you finish it, and then for the rest of the night, someone is the Dragon King or the Dragon Queen. Um, so that's super fun. And then I like Santorini because it's just a very quaint little little puzzle competitive game. Oh, yeah, all um, of these are games that those Blue three are just super super fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, we had a. When when the pandemic kicked off, we played an online game of King's Dilemma with some of our friends.
0: Uh, (laughs) That game is so complicated. It's so complicated. But it's so complicated. (laughs) Legacy games are insane. (laughs) Yeah, it took us like the better part of a year, I want to say. Really? Man. It was like. Because we started like, you know, summer of like 2020. And like, Mm -hmm. we. We finished in the winter.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but oh, so fun. Again, it was very it's, fun. it's it's one of those things where it's like the game itself is is alright. It's the hanging out with people that's fun. Because yeah, when we yeah. were playing, uh when we were playing King's Dilemma, it's like, oh, we're gonna pick our houses, they're all like Game of Thrones style. Uh and I think I was house Sneeple because it was the snake people, it was the symbol that had the snake on it. So like nice. the whole time we were playing, it's like, all right, I'm gonna do this thing. I think I'll open this card. And I was like, yes, my leisure, an excellent <laughs> choice. <laughs> like, what's the point of board games if you're not gonna really like go hard on the RP?
0: Yeah, that, that is one thing where there's um there's a game called TKO Dragons vs. Unicorns. It's made by the people. <laughs> who do the T-Turtle shirts, and it's uh. it's super fun. It's very straightforward and simple, but, like, the way I describe it to people is you have to play this game like it's Yu-Gi-Oh.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> you're playing tic-tac-toe, and you're just, like, putting down, like, a little unicorn card on a tic-tac-toe grid, but you have to, like, play that unicorn card with all the panache of Seto Kaiba. You like, gotta do the <laughs>
1: not-so-fast! So
0: exactly, and that's what really elevates the experience. So it's not yeah. just about the games, it's, like, what kind of, like, emotional... Outburst, can it provoke? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: uh, incredible stuff. Uh, this next question comes from Kitsune777 to Red and Indigo and all sundry. Blue is often put on blast in these pods for enjoying more pedestrian fare. So, what is your most beloved quote unquote basic thing? Be it food, weather, location, plots, etc.? So, we've given Blue Whoa. a little bit of uh, uh, shiitake on occasion for um, some of his more pedestrian things but i like i think we pedestrian?
0: all <laughs> is this the new basic I are you basic fucking is the pedestrian, pedestrian?
2: <laughs> maybe it's uh, the planet version but uh, is there anything wow. that either of us are into that maybe would be on that same level i think the answer is almost certainly yes because everyone oh, yeah. basic things are good because people and a lot of people like them because usually they're good but uh is there anything yeah, in particular absolutely. that comes to mind I mean,
1: this is similar to, like, the whole I have no idea how I would make a debunking video about this because I don't know what the normal person perspective on this is, but, like, it's a little hard for me to be like, which of my things are basic? Because everything that I do doesn't seem to make sense to most people. (laughs) Um, But, like, I I mean, judging by what I think basic means, I was one of those kids where it was like, oh, why aren't there any pictures in this book? I want to read comic books. (laughs) I was that kid, and then I grew up and I got to live my dream, which was great. Um... And I feel like that's a pretty basic thing for a, for a kid to do. It's like, you know, right? Is this? Am I warm? Is this working?
2: <laughs> I, uh,
0: I guess. I
1: guess. Uh, I'm one of those like dessert is an everyday thing people because I enjoy things that I enjoy and sugar is oh, yeah, no, good. That um, one. Yeah. 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 yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. I'm I'm winning at this. Yeah. It, um, it's
0: it's it's the sweets is definitely your most like pedestrian basic quality. <laughs>
2: I like what I like and I'm not going to apologize
0: Exactly
2: yeah. <laughs> I, Again, this is not to at anyone I think it is great that everyone likes what they like uh, I recently tried the pink drink at Starbucks for the first time And I get it now, it's pretty tasty Oh, <laughs> nice,
1: nice, nice, Oh, I, I'm definitely uh, one of those Oh, Halloween is the best time of year, people Because I started said started this podcast
2: by saying that it was Halloween <laughs> season It's September uh, Well, at the time of upload, September 13th <laughs> Yeah, but I'm still right any time of year. It's the
1: best time of year. Things are getting cool again. There's not snow on the ground built up and all gross. So like like spring has its benefits, but of the two temperate seasons, fall is the better one because you're getting the leaves falling. Everything's pretty. Things haven't had time to rot yet. Nothing's Dirty yet it's just nice. You're you're coming down from summer, where the main problem with summer is how fucking hot it is. So everything's beautiful and it smells good and it's breezy. Uh, so yes, autumn is the best season and Halloween is the best holiday. So, whatever.
0: Flawless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fall Completely. is a great season.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> I don't know when it became like a basic bitch take that fall is the best season. I think pumpkin, spice, I think lattes pumpkin spice
2: lattes are when lattes lattes it became the w- basic thing. The brick that oh. broke the. <laughs> proverbial back. Well, we can all be
0: pedestrians together walking on the (laughs) crunchy leaves.
1: I'm also (laughs) fond of uh, string lights. I think that they're pretty (laughs) and festive. Uh, And in terms of home decor, string lights are some of the easiest ways that you can brighten up a smaller space. Um,
0: I have a lot of... um fake little greenery garlands in my office because we got them for Cyan and Mai's wedding as decoration, and then it's like, why am I gonna throw this out? These are, like, surprisingly high-quality little fake plants, mm-hmm. and I submitted um, my yes. office uh, in my yes. last apartment to Daniel Green's Bookshelf Roast, and he was very impressed with my bookshelf but said that my, uh, my fake plants looked a little Hobby Lobby,
1: which <laughs> yeah. I took
0: deep offense to because those are the bastards who have the fucking ethic of Gilgamesh in their basement.
1: Yeah, Hobby Lobby's <laughs> many crimes aside, the fake plants are also...
0: Not great. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Cut to my core. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: but the takeaway is we all like a variety of things, popular or otherwise. You just like what you like. It's not. It's yeah. not that deep. <laughs> Yeah. We blast Blue sometimes because he says things like my local creperie, but that's unrelated to the the
1: pedestrian. I wouldn't call going to your local creperie a basic thing.
2: (laughs) He's just the only one of us who would say that out loud.
1: (laughs) Oh, you know that basic thing where you go to the local cotillion and
2: uh, (laughs) (laughs) engage your betrothed?
0: (laughs) Am I the Schmidt from New Girl of this group? (laughs) You are
2: 100%. (laughs) If we had to assign characters point blank right now from New Girl 1, Blue, not a shadow of a doubt in my heart, you're the Schmidt of this group. (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) It's
0: the best character on that show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I do think, okay, Blue, to throw this one to you, because this was kind of a question for us, and this is not from a user, but I want to know, give me and Red characters from New Girl as well. It feels only fair to...
0: (laughs) Okay, um...
2: (laughs) That's a
0: fantastic question. It's been a (laughs) long time since I've watched that show, and Schmidt was my favorite.
1: Sorry, I just remembered my other most basic trait. I play an acoustic guitar. What the fuck am I doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I played Wonderwall, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) And there's evidence of it in every of your videos. (laughs) Yes,
1: I am that guy at the party. I brought it with me to college to see if I could be cool, and I never had an opportunity to bring it out in public.
0: Yeah, uh, Red, you play acoustic instruments. You're definitely the Zoe Deschanel of the New Girl group. You're definitely the Uh Jets.
1: (laughs) Uh-oh. I think if I knew what that meant, I'd be devastated right now.
0: No, it's a compliment. (laughs) Oh, never mind. Um, But, um, Indigo, I think you'd probably be... I think you'd solidly be Nick.
2: Hell yeah. You got,
0: like, the, the like, kind of, like, protagonist by default uh, energy. Oh, no!
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yikes. You're, you, ground, you, you ground the the group in a way that, like, Schmidt and Jess do not.
2: <laughs> I'm honored to uh, pick up the Jake Johnson torch. This is... He's a champion. I'm okay with this. I, too, would wear sweatpants if I was Spider-Man. Um... <laughs> But we got time for one more question here on the show before we take it on out. And this is one of my favorite questions we've ever gotten. Uh, oh, from the basic HT- one wasn't the question you were oh, looking no. forward to? Uh, this question comes from HTFR1. If the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, what organelles might fit the other roles of the five-man band? Oh, my God. Hold on. And wow. just to help us all awesome out, I am going- <laughs> I'm going to pull out a list of organelles because I don't know any others off the top of my head. <laughs> Yeah, are any of us bio kids? <laughs> no.
0: Okay, so,
2: what are the twelve oh, organelles fuck. in the cell? There are the nucleus. That feels like an easy in for the leader. Yeah, or easy. the smart guy. Or the heart. Or the mm-hmm. heart, because it's the it's the center. You know. True. Uh, ribosomes. The vesicle. Rough endoplasmic reticulum. Golgi apparatus. That's gotta be the answer, right? That's that's a shoe <laughs> in. <laughs> Oh yeah, once I look up what that thing does. <laughs> I'll Cytoskeleton, have it smooth endoplasmic reticulum, mitochondria, notch, and the vacuole, the cytosol, the lysosomes. Oh, lysosomes.
0: Yeah, I did a I did a project in school on vacuoles and lysosomes in like 6th grade.
2: And the centriole. So, I'm oh going to cheat. Uh So,
1: there's a thing in the concept of a five-man band. Uh-huh. And Indigo, you'll, you'll be familiar with this from your own uh, experience with media. It's generally called the Sixth Ranger. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. It is the sixth member who isn't part of the team, but does regularly show up to like help out. They're usually a season two onward edition. They're often color-coded green. So it's obviously gotta be a chloroplast, you know? Of course. It <laughs> it's not sense. really part of the main crew, but whenever it shows up, it really changes the game <laughs> and it's green. Chloroplast,
2: Sixth Ranger. According to Wikipedia, they're actually um. Seven major organelles, and the chloroplast is one of them. So that's great for a six ranger. There's also the Perfect. endoplasmic reticulum, which uh, translates and folds new proteins. It makes new proteins. And, yeah. Hmm. Uh, the flagellum, which is for locomotion and sensory. Uh, Golgi apparatus. I think that's smart guy. That seems like a smart guy proteins. thing. I'd, I'd say Golgi apparatus maybe should be smart Golgi guy. I think Golgi apparatus might be smart
1: guy with the sorting. It's doing a lot off. of work, yeah, processing modification of proteins. Like you could just see that person guy in the chairing it up.
0: Okay, fair, yeah. okay, fair.
2: Yeah, the mitochondria is the powerhouse. So that's our big guy. That's easy enough. Easy, uh, yeah. The nucleus, then I would DNA maintenance could be the leader. I think that I, you know, as much as I like the idea of it
1: being the heart because it's like the center, I mm. think that well, here's I the problem. I think the heart like is the will, membrane.
0: 'Cause the heart pulls every keeps everyone together. The I heart was, is what makes the team cohesive. Okay. So heart's gotta be the membrane.
1: I like that because the thing is like I've I've been using a lot of Sailor Moon as background noise recently, so I've Good. been seeing a different yes. structure of five man band that I'm normally common uh, familiar with. And there's this system in a lot of storytelling where it's like if you don't have the leader, literally the plot's just not going to happen. The other characters basically function as accessories for the mm-hmm. leader when the leader is around. Uh, so it was like, well, that could be that could be the leader's the nucleus because you know without it, all the other stuff is completely ancillary. It can't really function on its own but then it's like, oh, but when they lose the heart, then they're like, oh, what do we do with ourselves? But no, you're right, that has to be the membrane because it literally holds them together. And Mm. without it, they're scattered and directionless, but they can still function independently. The heart is what keeps them together. Um, Is the membrane
2: a um, organelle though? it's listed cell membrane yeah, is listed it's, it's, as an it's, organelle it's
0: part of the Great, cell then
2: that counts uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have the, who's the
0: cytoplasm who's just like the goop in the middle of the cell
2: the problem is we don't we haven't accounted for the lancer yet yeah, um, yeah. so okay so what we have is nucleus leader membrane heart mitochondria big guy golgi apparatus, smart guy so any other organelle could be the lancer
1: ideally it would be somebody that can uh Function like like when the nucleus is out of commission, uh, mm-hmm. this is the guy that steps up. But I don't think cells have those. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um I, Honestly, I think he's got to just be the endoplasmic reticulum because a it's the only big one that we've left unaccounted well, for. Well, there's also and it's the got,
2: vacuole, which is for storage and homeostasis.
1: I feel like vacuole is. It's just, I think it's a category. Yeah, it's in, it's enclosed compartments filled with water and containing like enzymes and solution. It's not so much an organelle like that serves a purpose. It's just like a category of thing, sort of. I'll take your um, word for
2: it. I'm just reading off of the Wikipedia page for major I'm also organelles. i reading off the Wikipedia page. <laughs> um,
1: I think it's gotta be the endoplasmic reticulum because it covers a lot of bases. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got, it, uh, it's the transport system of the eukaryotic cell, according to Wikipedia. Uh, it does a bunch of other stuff like protein folding. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, if this is out of commission, everything's bad. But like, you know, it's, I don't know. I think honestly, it it's just needs because direction. It's got, yeah, it needs direction. It needs somebody to be the boss, uh, and also it's got the rough endoplasmic reticulum as part of it. And like rough is the one personality trait <laughs> that most lancers get. Yeah. So
0: yeah. <laughs> the edgy endoplasmic reticulum.
2: <laughs> the ear. Uh, Incredible. Boy. Uh, well, I'd love some fan art of our um, organelle <laughs> 5 band on my desk by Monday, but in the meantime... It's just another...
0: I... <laughs> Indigo, that's just another cell graph. There are a billion <laughs> <laughs> of them.
2: <laughs> uh, God. I wasn't a science major. I haven't done this since ninth grade biology. <laughs> yeah, I am also... The ninth grade biology was the last time I did this, kid. <laughs> yeah. Squad um, up. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, with that, I think we are getting to time on the podcast. So, Red, if you are ready to take us on out. Sorry, I'm
1: mesmerized by this really gross-looking gif on this page about the endoplasmic reticulum. <laughs> Biology is so nasty. Uh, thank you all so much for know. listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another uh, fun episode of the podcast. It'll it's, it's the that biweekly. It's not the other biweekly. Oh, uh, that
0: biweekly. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, Uh mm-hmm.
1: If you're craving more, we're going to be hanging out for another Thirty to forty minutes uh, in the after-after show show, available on Patreon right now as you're listening to this. Um, uh, we've got more videos coming out every Friday, so stay tuned for those. It's going to be fun. Uh, I Blushies. think. Plushies. Yes, and yeah, get <laughs> plushies if you so desire. They are very squimch. Uh And I think that about, <laughs> I think that about covers it. Um, so uh, until next time, I've been red.
0: I've been a pedestrian ass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and this has been an overly sarcastic podcast.
2: Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the overly sarcastic podcast. We'll be back on September 27th with another thrilling installment. But if you miss us before then, be sure to check out overly sarcastic productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.